a dangerously overcrowded fishing boat carrying hundreds of migrants near Greece's coast last month has become one of the deadliest refugee tragedies in recent years. While over just 100 migrants were rescued at sea, officials have recovered more than 80 bodies and as many as 500 people, including children. They're still missing and feared to be dead, according to Greek authorities and United Nations officials. Several men arrested by Greek officials have been accused of smuggling the African and Middle Eastern migrants on the fishing trawler. The humanitarian catastrophe has shined an international spotlight on the perilous voyage across the Mediterranean Sea that thousands of migrants undertake each month in hopes of reaching Europe, as well as the increasingly strict migration policies adopted by European countries amid mass refugee flows and intensifying migrant resentment domestically. This tragedy, unfortunately, is all too common, an event that we see in today's news, including here in the United States, with Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis passing legislation SB 1710 immigration law in Homestead, Florida, July 1st, 2023, to demonize illegal immigrants. I'm Fran McGarry, and I'm your podcast host of First Online with Fran's There's No Place Like Art. Today's guest, performer, playwright, one-woman show phenomenon, Valerie David, is here to talk about her mission to educate and empower audiences through the performing arts. Hey, welcome back, Valerie. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. It's wonderful. It was a, a couple of years ago, and I'm thrilled to be back. Well, I can't wait to find Thank out you. more of the arc. We have both been through change in our lives, to say the least. One of the things we talked about is how anti-immigration is, unfortunately, an old too common issue in today's news. Yet it's also a story that's been told through time. Your family was forced to flee from religious persecution during the 1941 Farhad pogrom, where over 1,000 Jews were killed. Your one-woman show, Baggage from Baghdad, addresses not only the plight of your family's escape, but also highlights today's turbulent times and the global increase of prejudice and discrimination against those who are minorities, those of different faiths and sexual orientation. I've always admired your persistence and your stamina as both an artist and an activist. So how do you manage to use theater as a thought-provoking vehicle to inspire? And how does your work foster healing in a world with rising prejudice, intolerance, and discrimination? Yeah, thank you. And it, it, those are great questions. And again, thank you for having me. And the interesting part is I had uh, re-listened to our interview from 2021, and I was just talking about baggage from Baghdad. It was a seed. 
it had just been readings. And since then, it became a full production and won the Best Theater and Spoken Word Award at the Stockholm Fringe Festival in 2022. And, and you know, this is, amazing. What, this is what we do as mm-hmm. artists. We plant seeds in each other. And I remember mm-hmm. that conversation because you were like taken off guard. You're like, I've just been thinking about this. I can't believe I'm talking about this. And I'm going to have to, you know, learn more about that. And here we are. We survived a pandemic. Uh, we survived a lot of stuff. Let's not even go into those politics. Exactly. Let's, yeah. Let's focus yeah, sure. on that leap that you mm-hmm. took uh, since our last uh, conversation. Right. Well, I didn't know that the leap would end up being more timely than ever when in February 2022, the war in Ukraine broke out. So that was when everything with the with baggage from Baghdad really started to have such parallels to what's happening now. And also, like you said, with the uh, migration boat, and they're saying that 100 children were trapped in the hold. So oh. we don't even know yet how many it's going to, we know it's going to be a staggering amount. What's happening with Ukraine and so many other places is what happened to my father. And in 1941, he was part of the Farhud and in Arabic, that means violent dispossession. So what happened was so parallel to today's times, for instance, with Ukraine, there were six million people who have fled the country and eight million who are displaced. In the 1930s, Baghdad and Iraq, the Jewish population was 150,000. Wow. And even a lot of my Jewish friends had never heard of the Farhud. And that's why it's so important to tell these stories so we could keep spotlighting what's happened. And the interesting part is when we had our interview two years ago, that was the 80th anniversary of the Farhud. So in the 1930s, there was a big Jewish population. And then Hitler had Mon Kampf translated into Arabic. And that's where the problems began because he started this hate campaign with the Jews in the Middle East. And at the time, there were one million Jews in amongst the Middle Eastern countries, Iraq, Iran, Syria, Syria, Lebanon. And now they're in, in Iraq, there may be four or five Jews left. So what's happened with Ukraine is that the Jews you know, had a mass exodus because they knew the rise of anti-Semitism in World War II was something that was so prominent. And it's also a known fact that Hitler had blueprints for concentration camps and gas chambers for the Middle Eastern countries if he had gone farther than he did. He already went far enough killing 6 million Jews and also LGBTQ community, gypsies, you know, anybody that wasn't part of the master race. It wasn't just the Jews, but the 6 million Jews, uh, he wanted to go further with the Middle Eastern countries and the Jews there. And so, so many people don't realize that, that there was such a huge Jewish population all the Muslims, Jews, and Christians lived in harmony. You know, they were friends. 
they were business partners and they everybody lived in peace and respected each other but things started getting very bad and my grandfather was beat up for being jewish i have a cousin victor who became a boxer because he kept getting beat up at school uh, so there was just all this anti-Semitism and we're seeing it all over again. And what happened with the Farhud that you mentioned over a thousand Jews were killed. They were raped. They were mutilated. Uh, they were taken off buses and stabbed. Their houses were marked with chumsas to show that they were Jewish homes so they could be targeted. And this is exactly what's happening with this going on with Ukraine, with the women raped, people murdered and tortured. It's exactly what happened to my bombing father's schools. family. Bombing schools. And it's also an echo genocide for Ukraine because of the environmental problems and blowing up dams that it's going to make those areas uninhabitable to anybody to return. So it's, it's just been unhauntingly parallel stories that are happening from 1941 and now we're in 2023. And my father and his family fled that night. Iraq was a British protectorate, so they all had British passports. So they were, you know, when that expression, the sun never set on the British Empire, that was, they were part of the British Empire. So they were able to flee that night. But my grandfather, uh, Nassim had to stay behind, just like what happened in Ukraine, and had to stay and uh, fight and seek solace, you know, in, from asylum and, you know, to for, be protected. But they didn't know if they were ever going to see their father again. And they took a plane and then they ended up in Habania, which was a British base. And they had to stay there and overnight, and they were being bombed there by German planes. They were already at war, you know, with, with Britain. They were enemies. And so they were putting bombs down on the army base. And then they ended up fleeing. But there were many times that they almost lost their lives. And in fact, this is part of baggage from Baghdad, where this was a true story that my aunt had three adult daughters that stayed behind because only women and children were evacuated during the Farhud. And Masuda, my grandfather's sister, gave my grandfather a gun. She said to him, I would rather you shoot them first before the mob comes after them. And my grandfather was prepared to do that. She didn't want them raped Let's just and take brutally a murdered. Yeah. yeah. This, this is echoes for me, Sophie's choice. Yes. Yes. Which child? Exactly. Which child? Luckily, the mob didn't come after them, but they came after so many people. And so they ended up okay. But we did find out later that I did have a cousin that got shot and killed during the Farhood. And that's part of what baggage from Baghdad is about is the generational trauma. And it highlights that and bullying. You know, my father, when he came to America, had been called a dirty Arab. You know, he came to the U.S. And so they lived in India first. They fled to India where we had family there. And then they eventually moved to the U.S. But it was a not an easy adjustment. And then what are we seeing all over again with art? You know, we know there's no place like art. Well, look what happened with the first preview of Parade. There were neo-Nazis giving out pamphlets, calling Leo Frank a pedophile. And why would you spend the money to go see this show? And they were handing out uh, uh, 
Nazi, pro-Nazi pamphlets. And what had happened with the Farhud, there were Nazi sympathizers who were armed by the Germans to cause this mass destruction and deaths with the Jews of Baghdad. But we're seeing such a rise in everything, uh, in anti-Semitism. I read in the Anti-Defamation League, it's up about 41%. And with the LGBTQ hate crimes, it's up also in the almost 50%. So we're seeing this all over the country. I just and read in the paper this morning about some guy went to get some coffee and threw his hot coffee at this gay couple. Oh. I mean, why? 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 Where is and this it's, coming it's, from? It's, Jews why? will not replace us. Where is this coming from? And personal experience with a relative who right after the Charlottesville March, mm -hmm. you know, that yes, thing. Yes, yes, yes. And this was an educated college educated person with wearing the the t-shirt the gatson flag don't tread on me oh. and i asked him do you, do you know what that means do you know what that means and uh, his mother got mad at me uh, for making a, a political comment and asked me to leave Wow. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's like, you know, the irony is not lost on me also. What is happening that here Hitler translates Mein Kampf into Arabic. That's where books are going. And now we have school boards are censoring books because they talk about mommy and mommy are their parents. It's just astounding. It I is. I just don't know where we're going and why I do this podcast and why I have people like you who could speak to that and who mm -hmm. can address that. You made some very interesting comparisons. Like these things are happening now. Now, yes. And Farhoud, I apologize for missing. Oh no, that's okay. I, I'm um, I'm not fluent in Arabic. I should be. You know, uh, I'm like my. That's um, the other thing. My family assimilated, and they didn't want us to learn Arabic. You know what? The same thing happened with me. My mother and father really? both spoke Italian, and it's like no, they would speak yeah. Italian. They were like, no, you're American. Do not speak. And <laughs> I think a lot of it was also to erase their past. They didn't yes. want to remember the trauma that they went through to get. To America. And so luckily, I didn't realize it would be baggage from Baghdad. I had taped my family in 2006, not knowing it would be a story. But here's the craziest part. Recently, I was going through some stuff, all my old acting notebooks, and I found a notebook from 28 years ago. I don't even remember. And I opened it and it was baggage from Baghdad. Yeah. where I told the story, where all those stories are in my 
in my show now at how they were confronted by Nazis on a train in 1939. And because they had British passports, they were let through. And my grandfather was approached by not a Nazi soldier. And, and he kept saying, I don't understand when he kept yelling at him that he's Jewish and he had a British passport. So he, you know, they finally got on the train, but they would have been hauled off right then and there if they didn't have those British passports. Cause my grandfather's name was Nissim Isaac David. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can't hide that one. <laughs> so uh, I literally started crying 28 years ago. I had this notebook where I was writing down things, you know, in acting school, they're like, talk about your history or things you want to talk about. And then last year, I found a cassette tape. I still have a tape recorder. And it was a tape of an interview from my father in 1998 that I forgot that I did. And I popped the tape in and I couldn't believe I found more stories. You know, what a difference between 1998 and 2006, what's remembered. And the interesting part about that tape is that it changed the story because Baggage from Baghdad is also a love letter to my father and his strength and my family and my mother and everyone. And the irony is that in the one of the earlier drafts of Baggage from Baghdad, I said in the show how different we were. But then when I heard that tape, my father and I were exactly alike. I was bullied as a kid. He was bullied as a kid. He loved the arts. It was just amazing. And just listening to that tape changed the entire play. You recently lost your dad. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Thank you. This show is obviously something very personal to you on many levels. And you talked about some of the themes. We know how one woman plays projects take on their own storyline. The extensive amount of research that involves and then to intertwine all of these stories you play what, like 15 characters? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And the interesting part is that, you know, my first solo show, The Pink Hulk, One Woman's Journey to Find the Superhero Within, that's about me. And it's so much more difficult as a writer to write about my father. And, and it's his story because there's so much at stake because I want to honor him. I think it's much easier to write a story from your own life, but I have to take it from his life. And that has been really difficult as a writer. And that's also the love of the challenge as well, because my father, my superhero, and I will sh share this with you is that I had a reading March 24th of last year. And I was going to go home right after the reading of Baggage from Baghdad, uh, Becoming My Father's Daughter at the Wham Festival, uh, the Women's History Artist Month at Goddard Riverside on the Upper West Side. And we knew that my father was going to pass away any day of that week because he was in hospice. And he happened to pass away the night before the reading. And my mom called me and she said, you know, Valerie, your dad is gone, but you're doing your show tomorrow oh. and you've got to do your show tomorrow. I got to tell you, I should have gotten an Oscar and Emmy <laughs> and a Grammy and, and a Tony to do a show all about your father 24 hours after he passed away was the hardest thing I've ever had to do, but it was also the most important thing I ever had to do. And 
it was really interesting because the other thing about education with this show and including the pink colk is I always have talkbacks after every show. And at this talkback, I had two filmmakers that are champions of Iraqi culture and preserving oh. Iraqi culture, Carol Basri and Adriana Davis. And oh. I was inspired in uh, 2005 by The Last Jews of Baghdad, which is one of the documentaries that documents the Farhud and the history of the Jews in Baghdad. And I knew that I wanted to do something then. And then they became part of my talkbacks. And it was really wonderful to have them talk about saving the Iraqi uh, uh, Jewish archives is their newest one that was from uh, 2020. So they're part of the talkback and they shed light on the Farhud and also what's happening with the Iraqi archives where they're still in Iraq and the Iraqi Jews want it back, but they're saying it's part of the government. So there's this whole thing about who owns the stuff that had been looted and confiscated. And that's what also happened with Iraq in Baghdad, the Farhud. There were 900 homes burnt down, businesses were burnt down. It was not just a, a destruction of the lives and it was destruction of their culture and synagogues. And the other, a few days ago, in Georgia, there were neo-Nazis that traveled to different synagogues in Georgia. So it's the same, it's, say the parallel, the same thing, destroying, trying to erase the culture. And my mission is to keep that culture alive and to sustain that culture because we don't want history repeating itself, you know, not to be cliche, and it is. And we need to educate that we're all the same people. We all are from the same mindset of being one and that we should celebrate our differences instead of of fearing them or being alienated by those differences. And you know, I think that's what makes one woman shows and particularly yours, which you are so brilliant at doing. Thank I watched you. clips of it. Um it'll be on on the blog for other people to watch. But what you do in this one woman show is you present all of these perspectives and how it coalesces into a single vision, a single hope. I just think that's brilliant. Oh, thank you. And and even growing up, I loved where I grew up. It was in the South, in Virginia, but I was many times the first Jewish person that anyone ever met. And Yom Kippur was Yom Kippur. And I did have people say to me, oh, do you have horns on your head? Or, you know, but not out of really more ignorance, not out of, you know, because I was senior class president. So, <laughs> so, so would yeah. you hide those horns, girl? Yeah, I know. And But this was more in Richmond where this happened, not so much Virginia Beach, but in Richmond. And, you know, they tore down the Confederate statues. Richmond is Richmond. And so I enjoyed growing up there, but it was a bit hard, difficult, you know, and there was just all the stories, you know, I just even hear from my mom growing up the same thing, you know, when she was getting furniture at a store in Richmond, this uh, furniture place said, oh, um, Jewish couple bought this furniture. They like those colors. <laughs> and my mom was like, okay. <laughs> oh my God. They like you're like, well, really? I think everybody likes those colors. You know, it's not Jews that just like those colors. 
and I think she did buy that version. <laughs> but my mom's like, you know, what do I, you know, what do I say? What do I do? And and I think that's really hard because, you know, I used to be afraid, you know, when someone there was this Christian group and I was invited to, and I said, Oh, you know, this after school group. And I'm like, I'm actually Jewish, you know. And he was like, Oh my God, you're Jewish, you're going straight to hell. And I was like, Well, you know, you just have to squelch that ignorance and that hatred and just that's why baggage from Baghdad is a love letter from my father of course and my family and it's also to educate and to show look demonstrate this is happening again the stereotypes and everything and it's also with you know the african-american population i had a friend tell me that she was at a bank and she opened the door for this elderly woman to be nice, just to open the door. And, and the woman said to her, are you going to rob me? <gasps> and my friend who, who's from Puerto Rico told me that her mother was on a bus recently and there was a four-year-old laying down on the seats. And she said to the little girl, do you mind if you know you sit up? And she said, my family said, I don't have to give a seat to anybody who's Latino or Black. The four-year-old. Four-year-old. So uh-huh. Then the yeah. mother said to the girl, little girl's mother, what are you going to do about this? And she, the mother answered, she can do anything that she wants. So this starts. And these are the stories that we hear, that we read about. Yeah. But what theater does and what you're exactly. doing to your show is you you humanize it. And I also do. also humanize it through humor. I exactly. Talk, I want you to exactly. talk a little bit about that because it's not all, you know, banging people on the head. It's extremely entertaining. How can yes. you take such a dire subject is what, you know, the plight and the tragedy and all that. How do we make fun of it? I know. Well, you know, one, one of the stories that gets a, a very big laugh is that when 9-11 happened, you know, anybody of Middle Eastern descent, whether you were Jewish or Christian or Muslim, were targets. And I remember going to the airport. They were saying, you know, let me see your ID and boarding pass. And I was like, here it is. And the guy looked at me because I don't look Swedish, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> though I love Sweden and uh, I was, uh, love, love cast Sweden. Persians against blonde and blue eyed people. Right, right. So <laughs> he looked at me and, you know, he was like, where are you from? And I was like, what do you mean where I'm from? He's like, you know, your background, but derogatory. And I was like, oh, you know. Um, I don't know. I was adopted. I don't know who my birth parents are. I've been searching for them all my life. And he was like, oh, and and I was like, thank you. But I actually told someone that I was adopted. And, it, you know, it was a hilarious and also pathetic moment that I was so afraid to admit that I had Middle Eastern background, that I lied and said I was adopted. So there's a lot of humor in the show and a lot of love. And it also touches on Alzheimer's. Um, my father had Alzheimer's and stage four cancer in the end, having a lot of great memories with him, you know, his last few months and everything and the humor in that and the love in that and the joy. And you, you're right. I celebrate his life. And I feel that without the arts, we would not know many things like Greenwood, a play that I was in, which is about the 1921 Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, genocide of the African-American population. 
without the arts, again, we, we would not know many things and we're, we need to learn about this and it must be done over and over and over again. And I would love to take this again overseas, baggage from Baghdad, go to universities, colleges, Jewish organizations. I had a Muslim couple that saw the show in Vermont and they said, I felt like I was your family. The same thing happened. He had to flee in 2005 with his five-year-old daughter from Iraq, from Baghdad. And he said, even though we're Muslim and you're Jewish, we are family. So it just shows the universality of baggage from Baghdad as well. Any political grassroots organizations have reached out to you? I am doing that as well because I'm still developing it a little bit more. I was uh, selected for the Minnesota, New York Mills Regional Cultural Center as an artist in residence last month for two and a half weeks. So I'm developing a little bit more and I'm going to be doing it probably towards the end of the year and, and definitely also next year. I want to include some more personal stories about my family. And so, you know, just with the Pink Hulk, I've been doing it for seven years and I just cut out 15 minutes when I just did it in North Carolina a week ago. These shows are always evolving, evolving and yeah. things are happening yeah. in my life that change the story because I've changed and the world has changed. I wonder if we can change what is happening, you know, in our country. And, you know, I'm thinking, would Ron DeSantis let you come to uh, Florida and do a show there? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, that's a great question. And, okay, you know, I'm and just we, dealing you that card, girl. I know. You can play that theater heals. <laughs> yes, theater heals. And we need to keep theater alive. And you heal, Fran, with your amazing podcast. Oh. You're healing as well. And I can't thank you enough because oh. you are getting our stories out there, your own story out there. You have a book, you know, that's coming up. And so you're all the things that you're doing in your life. There was a quote that um, I got this morning that said from Mae West from Insight Timer, you only live once, but if you do it right, once is enough. And that was by <laughs> Mae West. <laughs> so go May. There you <laughs> yeah. go. And this yeah. morning in my meditation, I heard in my voice, be bold and mighty forces will come to you. That's what we do. Thanks, yes. Valerie. Thank you so art, much. Your art and your friendship with me. Thank you. It was an honor. Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hare Media and recorded at Wheat Sheep Studio Productions. <laughs>